Last year was the most trying of times for my mental health. But I wasn't alone. While sharing about our anxiety over a Zoom call, a friend forwarded an article from Harvard Business Review that explained what we felt. It said, Yes, we're feeling anticipatory grief. Anticipatory grief is that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. Usually, it centers on death. We feel it when someone gets a dire diagnosis or when we have the normal thought that we'll lose a parent someday. Anticipatory grief is also more broadly imagined futures. There is a storm coming. There's something bad out there. With a virus, this kind of grief is so confusing for people. Our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but you can't see it. This breaks our sense of safety. We're feeling that loss of safety. I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety like this. Individually or as smaller groups, people have felt this. But altogether, this is new. We are grieving on a micro and a macro level. Unfortunately, the pandemic isn't over, so our anxiety also has not gone away. The question is, what can we do to feel better about it? Welcome to another episode of Banana Q Podcast. Today we have two very special guests, RR and Karel Herrera. They're a couple who are both social and emotional intelligence coaches, NLP trainers, and empowerment and communications coaches. So wow, that sounds like a mouthful, right? So could you, first of all, <laughs> tell us what exactly this means? I want to greet everyone. I'm RR and I am a life coach. That's what we do. Uh, we help people get out of being stuck for those people who want to be happier, for those people who want to improve their lives. That's what we're here for. And aside from that, we are also trainers and we own a company called Train Station. And whatever we do in coaching, we are able to translate that for the people in corporate to be able to get uh, higher sales, to get better service in their companies and team buildings and stuff. Hello, everyone. My name is Karel. And yes, I'm the wife of RR. Probably don't recognize, you know, the voice or even the name <laughs> RR Herrera. He used to be a child star back here in the Philippines. Yes. 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 So let, let that be said. Um, and coming from a background of performing, and so was I. So I was also in theater. I was also a performer. And we came up with an organization that can help teach people in a more relatable way and to teach people how to live a better life. And RR was talking about better, having more good in your life. Because a lot of times people want to be happier, but there are so many blocks that are stopping them. Or even there are people who just want to be okay because they've had a lot of baggages, a lot of pain, trauma, hurt, or currently experiencing a trauma, an abusive relationship, or a calamity. So we help people take them from point A to point B. As RR mentioned, we're life coaches. So we have helped people in breakups. Yes. We've helped people get back together. We've helped people <laughs> be happier with their choices, move on. So 
it's really different. It's really all about emotions. It's how we feel. And if you'd say, am I happy? Am I successful? All of these things are really not gauged by the external that, yeah, I'm successful because of all the money I'm making or because of my position at work, but how we feel inside about it. Some people, you know, have all the success in the world, but are very unhappy within. So how do we align that? And because we help that with the person, we know that a person can help an organization. We know that that person can become a better leader, as RR said, a better service provider, salesperson. But that person is also a part of a society, an entire community. So changing lives or changing one person at a time for us is really our work in making a change in the world, transforming people wherever they may be in their lives. Oh, that is very good though because as you all know, in the Philippines, mental health is not something that is taken seriously sometimes, right? Mm-mm. And it's yeah. good to know that there's actually companies like yours that do have this aspect. Today, we thought that a good topic to cover would be about anxiety. Especially now, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and we have no way of knowing when this is ending, unfortunately. First, though, maybe we could begin with how does anxiety look like? What is that exactly? It looks different for everybody. Some people know about it. Some people don't know about it, that they're already experiencing anxiety. Well, a lot of people have different manifestations. So it can be as simple as having difficulty breathing to manifestations on behavior, like fighting people and stuff like that. But a lot of people think it's just anger or it's it's something normal, but what they don't realize is it's connected to something deeper than that, which is really a fear of something that's about to happen or anticipating something that's not good. SRR also mentioned that it looks different for everybody. The very simple explanation, a neuroscience-based explanation to this is that the minute that you are anxious, a part of your brain the one that is in charge of protecting you. There's this panic button in our brain. We call it the amygdala. So the panic button in our brain alerts our entire body that, hey, there's danger. So any form of danger, whether you see you meet a person for the first time or they ask you to speak in public or you suddenly have to open your credit card bills. So those things can trigger that. So your brain is telling you danger, danger, danger. The minute that that is happening, the brain releases cortisol. And also it manifests because we have this thing in our brain called the reptilian brain. It's very primitive. It's the one in charge of our heartbeat, the temperature of our body, our digestion, and even our sleep, our rest. So that's why when you have anxiety, it is seen sometimes in not being able to sleep or not being able to eat or having too much acid hyperacidity and it starts to hurt you. You start to have headaches because of this too. Your hands start to feel really cold. And a lot of times when it's anxiety, the body, the blood rushes to the feet because it wants to run away from the danger. So the palpitations, your heart starts to beat fast. Now, we feel that every once in a while, right? Like I've said, when you're opening your credit card bill or talking to someone who's new or you're being asked to present in front of your bosses. But anxiety happens when it is more than what you can manage. Because some of these things you can manage, like you distract yourself, you play, you you sing, you dance, you jump up and down. There are many things that you can do to manage and distract yourself. 
But there are people who would say it is overwhelming anxiety. So anxiety is actually a good emotion. We need that. I mean, fear is a good emotion. Anger is a good emotion because they're valid. Each emotion has an intention. Fear is supposed to protect us, to keep us alive. Anger is supposed to fight for us so that we keep ourselves alive. Anxiety is propelling us into action for us to do something about a situation. So the anxiety that we feel, those are signals. But what happens when we're drowning in it? And sometimes that's the crippling feeling. And as RR said, it can be different to other people. Some people will probably look very calm on the outside. But on the inside, they're falling apart. Or there are people who are like really having <laughs> a freaking out already. It's different for everyone. RR has been talking to so many people and someone would just say to him, call him in the middle of the night and say, I cannot breathe anymore. And there was not even a trigger. There's nothing. It's just this pandemic. This person's like, I don't know why I can't breathe. Or there would be people who would say, I feel like I'm drowning. And then the way out is very important for us to say, what can I do when this is happening? What can I do with how I feel when these things are happening so that it doesn't spiral down? Because it sometimes spirals down and we cannot get out of it. Just like a child having a tantrum, when you catch it early on, it's easier if you let a child spiral down and you further let them spiral down, you cannot get them out of it. And last year, because pandemic again, I think everybody that we know experienced it in some way or form, right? Yes. You're not normal if you were just like, I'm fine, I'm happy about this, right? <laughs> exactly. How does that happen actually? Is it just they're just worried or is there usually some kind of trigger or causes for it? Most of the time, you know, our brain is like a computer. Whatever is encoded in it, that's what it processes. So the minute that it processes it, it sends messages all over your body. So that's a very simple way to describe how anxiety happens. So we receive the information. Our body receives the stimulus. So whether it is what you see on Facebook, what you hear from your husband, what you smell, like some people would trauma, smell something or taste something and it just boom, you know, affects their entire body. I've had people who would just pass by a certain road and see this place and they remember the trauma. So that's how the brain processes it. It experiences that stimulus, that environment, and it gets processed. So there's a very long lineup of what happens to the brain. Like the minute that it hits your sensory system, then it goes to your long-term memory and tries to recall, hey, did I have anything traumatic or bad in this place? If not, move forward, you know? If yes, ha. What will I do? Do I run away? So there are many processes there, scientific even. But all of these processes happen in a very short time. Like if you look at me and my husband, you can probably identify our gender immediately. Nanosecond. Who's the girl and who's the guy? Because that's how your brain processes the information. So we label things immediately. And when we label, we look for danger. That's the first thing that the brain does. And at a time like this, because you've taken away a lot of things that the brain can expect, like the usual routine, the ability to go out without a mask, for example, or without a face shield, that autonomy of you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, or even the, the job 
security for some people. And even if you are already okay with you, but what about your family members in the Philippines who are still in the middle of that? So the anxiety comes from that kind of information. And that's why when news comes out and it's all about just this, all the negative things, it causes more anxiety. So we're like, oh my goodness, there's already a pandemic and there's another storm. Oh, and then the government is like this or like that. So we are getting bombarded and all the more feeling helpless. So we label these things. Now, sometimes the labeling will tell us if we should flee or fight or freeze. So that's very psychological. You know, the things that we're talking about are very scientific processes. And, you know, a lot of people who have background in psychology, psychiatry, and, you know, even grade schoolers know about the brain. They know the fight and flight, you know, response and freeze of people. What a lot of people do not realize is that there is a process to stop the label or change the label. Because if I am nervous and I'm having an anxiety attack and panic attack because I have stage fright and I'm about to go on stage, I've done this for a client. She's like, I have stage fright. And I said, how does that happen? You know, the butterflies in my stomach start to really scare me. My heart is beating very fast. My hands are very cold. So she started talking about her nervousness. And I said, all right, how does excitement feel for you? And she said, oh, excited is like, my heart is beating fast uh, and my hands are cold and there's butterflies in my stomach. And I said, oh, so excitement and nervousness feel the same. Yeah. But why is it that your brain has labeled it as a bad thing, as just nervous? So when I asked her, so what if, what if you're just excited? And you could see the glow in her face. She just had this aha moment and she's like, you're right. Because if I see this as excitement, then it feels differently for me than how my body now reacts to this. Instead of just fleeing from it and just being scared, it makes me move forward. And true enough, it was in the middle of an interview, a radio interview as well. And the interviewer was like, oh my God, I'm seeing the change right before my eyes that... Prior to you asking her about that, she was so nervous talking on the microphone. But now she looks so talkative and energetic. It's really simple. And good thing that Karel pointed that out because sometimes, you know, when people ask for help, they think, you know, it's something really serious. It's something really crazy. Look at that conversation. It was just a simple conversation. It, it was a reframe. It was seeing how the client defined that word, the manifestations in her body. And with just a simple redefinition of that manifestation, she was able to change the way she felt and the output that her body is manifesting. You're excited and scared. You're both the same. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Aside from this, is there anything else that we can do if we experience anxiety? It's really asking yourself first if it's something that you need to deal with. Because, I mean, we have clients who ask us, you know, I'm afraid of snakes. Can you take that away? (laughs) Yeah, can you? We can. The thing is, the first thing we ask them is like, why? Does your job have anything to do with snakes? Do you (laughs) deal with snakes every day? Like, do you live in a forest or something like that? And they're like, no. And we're like... Then that's pretty normal, okay. you know, what? <laughs> right? Yes. Because as Cardell said, fear has a role, and it's supposed to protect you. I see. But what we're talking about here is something that cripples you 
wherein you can't deliver something that you must do, then we can do something about it. Right. That's the first step. In Carol's example earlier, which is stage fright, if it's your job to be speaking to huge audiences, then <laughs> you need to do something about it. But snakes, maybe it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that way then, if you are afraid of speaking to audiences, how do you think people could deal with something like that then? Well... The first intervention that I did with that person was just to change the label of how she feels, right? Although the most important thing is to be aware of how stage fright feels. You have to know yeah. because in what we do with what RR and I do in neuro-linguistic programming is you have to be sensitive with how your body tells you if you're okay or not. To be able to catch it. Yes, because if you're not able to catch it, as I've said, at the first sight of it or at the first sense of it, like a child having a tantrum, if you're not able to sense it at the start, then you're only going to sense it when you're in the middle of it and you're having a breakdown and a panic attack. So being mindful of the first signs, like for example, all right, okay, let's say the person was not able to be mindful of that and they just feel it right before they go on stage. So I ask people, start calibrating your entire body. Where does it feel differently? And they'd say, my head is feeling light. My hands are cold. My stomach is like this. My feet are like this. Now, why does it do that? Because if you know how your brain is acting up right now, the reason why it's doing that is because your heartbeat is beating so fast because your breathing is probably erratic too. Ah. Then the oxygen is not going to your brain. That's why you feel dizzy. So we tell people the minute that you know that, like for example, my hands are clenched because I'm a, so angry. To be mindful of that, that, oh, Karel, look at your fist right now. It's so hard. <laughs> then you can do do something conscious about it, which is to unclench it. So if I feel my hands cold, can I rub it together? It sounds so simple. I'm rubbing my hands together. Can I take three mindful breaths, deep breaths through my nose and slowly breathing out? Can I stand differently? Can I have a power stance? Like, can I remember moments in my life when I felt powerful? And if I remember that moment in my life, can I stand like that and breathe? <sighs> can I do that? Could I feel myself, you know, like remembering this music that I love? I don't know if it's like, you know, Rocky, tan -tan 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 -tan, or Eye of the Tiger. You know, you play that in your ear and then, you know, we are the champions. I don't care. You know, if you are scared, set it up prior to a presentation or a talk or public speaking. Set yourself up. Set the stage up. And, you know, I've worked with Leia Salonga and um, I always say this because, you know, RR and I have come from theater. And people in theater backstage, you would see them warming up doing lip trills. They would vocalize backstage. They would do stretches. But us, if we have to have a meeting, talk to a new person, sell, speak in public, we're not setting ourselves up backstage. We have to set that up. So with what I see, with what I hear, with what I feel, I have to set it up. Those are quick fixes. Although sometimes the trauma is just so deep. So we have an intervention that is face-to-face. -face. We coach someone through it. We can help a person deal with a past that has probably traumatized them. That's why they feel that way. Now, if that trauma is very deep, then I ask people to seek for help. 
But if the trauma is like, or if the anxiety is like, I'm just so nervous. Ever since I was young, I'm always nervous. I just don't like making a mistake, you know? And then what can you do? Because your nervousness is probably just telling you to prepare. It's telling you, hey, hey, because all these signals have an intention. As I've said, all these emotions have an intention. So it's probably telling you, you know what? You prepare. You know what? You you breathe. You know what? You, you rest first or jump up and down and dance and enjoy yourself before doing something. And you will find me doing that as I speak in front of like 10,000 people or 3,000 people, you would see me backstage jumping up and down. I'm doing silly dances there. I stick out my tongue and blah, blah, blah. I do that. I do my crazy face because that is an option. <laughs> that is an option for me to do than just to be there backstage and like shaking and trembling. And then I'll just dance around and enjoy it. Sounds like a good tip actually. But do you think these kinds of <laughs> tips would help would say the general feeling that people have now pandemic mm-hmm. it's not like that scenario where in in five minutes i'm gonna go out there and face the audience mm-hmm. right now it's just a general dread of the future we're just anxious about whether are we gonna lose our job or are we going to catch the virus or is yeah. our loved one going to catch the virus and then of course we're also dreading if our loved one catches the virus and then the bill is astronomical so there's a lot of things that you can be worried about during this time so yeah. how do you think People should deal with that then. All of the things that you said, these are things that are being anticipated and things that are in the future. There's fear in the future, but one big tip that Cadell and I give is really being in the present. Because, you know, in the present, there's nothing yet. There's no fear there. How do you become present? Cadell and I have this tip. Just observe things that you see, things that you hear, things that you smell, things that you taste, and feel it. Really feel it. Be there as you observe these things. And that's how you become in the moment. And during that time where you are in the present, you start to realize, hey, the fear is not there anymore. (laughs) Then you realize the fears are coming from the future. Things that I am anticipating, which were not there yet. And they might not even happen. It's just silly that just suddenly you worry about a future. But you're right. In the moment, right now, nothing is happening. Right now, I'm not sick. Right now, my yeah. loved ones are not sick. Mm-hmm. Right now, I have my job. Mm-hmm. So why am I jumping to the future and anticipating bad things? Right. It's good to prepare, though. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. good to prepare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the fear comes from, you know, things that I cannot control. Yeah. Then you go back to the things that, okay, if those things are things that I cannot control, what are the things that I can control now? Because that reframes your mind from being helpless to, hey, there are certain things that I can do. Like, for example, when my dad got COVID and he's not that young anymore. And the sad part is I can't go and help my family. And I felt really helpless. But I reframed my mind and thought, you know, I can't be there, but what can I do from here? So I posted on Facebook, anyone here who knows of a hospital that's accepting a 78-year-old or do you guys know of any doctor or uh, I was able to provide medicines and stuff from my own home. And I felt good about it because, you know, instead of feeling helpless, there are certain things that I can do even if I'm not there. And I think that's what helped me also deal with the situation better. And even RR and I had COVID and our son had COVID a few months ago. Our unvaccinated 
son who's eight years old. Yeah. So it's like when he would start to feel like worst case scenario, you know, wait a minute. You, you can't, you know, it's involuntary. Yeah, it is. You start to think of things that could go wrong, right? Yeah. But then, yeah. Again, I had to catch myself and like, okay, we're not going to go there. We're here. We're here, we're here now. Yeah. We're here now. And a lot of times when people feel this way, we're not telling people you remove that feeling so that you can feel better. No, you can acknowledge it. Like what I was saying a while ago, hey, this feels heavy. Hey, this feels weird. I'm having this feeling that I'm like drowning. Acknowledge that because it's a valid signal. It's telling you something. Yeah. So you could go and say, what do you need? Because when RR starts like having that kind of thought or those feelings, what does it need? It needs appeasement. So, you know, he's very alert in monitoring everyone's oxygen level. He was very alert in monitoring everyone's temperature, very mindful of every sound of my cough and telling me what medication to take with the kind wow. of cough I'm having. Because I have asthma, yeah. I have GERD, and I have acid reflux, plus I have COVID. So he's like... What does that sound like? So he, he does what he can with the situation. You know, you were so right, D, when you said no one was exempt from this. No one. Even if you'd say, oh, we're fine. No one was still exempt from it in, in the sense that it is happening to everybody. The thing that has helped me flourish, though, and keep my sanity and actually have a great well-being emotionally and mentally during this time is like, what are we learning from this? I had to ask that question. Again, going back to the labels, you can see it as such a tragedy, as a calamity, as a difficult situation, but we are learning so much from this. <laughs> is there good that came out of this too? Amidst all the pain, amidst all of that, what good came out of it for you? Like the time that we can have with the kids, the time for us to get to know our children more, that was like phenomenal. Learn new things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely learn new right? things. I'm trying to do things online. Us trying to open a company in North America. Oh, wow. yeah. okay. If this didn't happen, that wouldn't have pushed us to reach farther because now it's borderless, right? Exactly. Or if you're worried about family and everyone getting sick, this is the time that we can connect even digitally and all of these technological advances that are present right now for us to connect. So it's like, I worry about my mom because she's old too, but let me call her or let me reach out to her or whatever it is for us to be able to stay connected and help each other out right now. If someone is not okay, if someone is just going through a rough patch, that we are there for others. One way also to help people is to look at different kinds of perspectives. Like if something like this is happening and you feel like, oh, I'm having anxiety because of this, maybe I can see it from a different point of view or a different perspective. Like thinking about other people, like I'm still happy and glad that I have a job. You know, what about others who don't? Can I do something right now in this pandemic to help the ones who don't? Teaching us also how savings is very important. <laughs> like When this <laughs> happened, we're like, okay, thank God I have a few savings left for me to get by. Before, we would just live from one payday to another and not really mind about the savings. That is true. And I think we also learned to realize how lucky we were before, right? Like if you managed to travel and... Yeah. And also, just see your friends anytime. So the moment that, well, I don't know about the Philippines, right? You're 
basically been locked down since last year. But at least here in Hong Kong, I realized just like how much I took for granted. A simple thing like going to a restaurant and dining in. Mm -hmm. So those small things that you used to take for granted, the moment it opened here, I was more grateful for that. Appreciative, yeah. Oh, yeah. (sighs) I missed that. (laughs) Oh, my God. What's our favorite restaurant at Nathan Road? And what's that place that we always eat at? That place, yeah, we don't know the name because it's all in okay. Chinese, but we know where it is. Uh-huh. We know where it it's is. across our hotel. <laughs> what kind of uh, cuisine was there? Chinese cuisine? Ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, the Chinese. We love duck. The, we love, uh, we're duck, duck people. Oh, chicken. Duck people. Oh, uh, yeah. oh my gosh. Maybe I just, we miss Hong Kong so much. The Nathan Road, best duck or something, and then I'll see if I, I can. <laughs> No, it's not Nathan Road. It's, uh, what? Johnston? Yes, it's in Johnston Road. It's in front of Iregal Hotel. I look at where Iregal Hotel is and definitely search for that restaurant thanks to your recommendation. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yes, we really do miss the, not just the going out, but hanging out with people that, you know, we haven't mm-hmm. really seen in a while. Or even for me, flying back to the Philippines, right? Obviously, I right? can't do yeah. that. So, so the small mm-hmm. things that we mm-hmm. used to take for granted, we really look forward to them now. Yes, yeah. yes. I guess those are the pros of, of the pandemic. I, and what I try to tell people right now is, yes, we miss those things. But right now, if you'd say, we cannot travel, we cannot do this, is there some way, some creative way that you can replicate it where you are? Or, you know, I don't know, have a picnic at your kitchen oh, yeah. or something, you know, or or set up a picnic with your kids in the bedroom and pretend to camp together in one room, put up your little tent somewhere. I, I don't know. You don't have to be in a different place. And a friend of mine said, what I realized in this pandemic is my husband and I travel a lot. And she's like, I don't care if I'm in Morocco or in Pasig. It's the same fun if it's with the right people. And it's your family. So we can set it up, set up a bonfire, play some music, dance around with the kids. It can still be fun. It might not be that adventurous. We might miss the snow. <laughs> we might miss all of these beautiful places And because my husband and I are also divers. So we might miss underwater so much. The thing is, again, it's the anticipation of the future and the regret of the past. But being present, there's beauty in the present where we are. And I always encourage people to savor. Savor the present. Because if you're always about the past and about the future, you're not living now. And now is good. That's actually a favorite movie of my husband. Yes, now my is good. Now is good. It can be good. And even if, let's say, I had, I had COVID and I'm coughing, now is still good. Now is still good. Every breath that I still get to have and breathe is still good. That is also a signal. I need to make my body stronger. I need to take care of my body more and making myself stronger so that I survive this. That I can control. I'll, I'll fight till the very end. You know, I'll take my vitamins like water. So if that's <laughs> if that's the thing that I have to do, then I will do that to get me yeah. to better. That is a good mentality to have. A friend of mine got COVID. He was one of the first to get it last year, in February 2020 in the Philippines. He also mentioned that what got him through that was, of course, he could have self-pity, but what's that going to do, right? That's not going to add on to anything. So like you, he also just motivated himself like, okay, I'm having a hard time walking, for example, even from point A to Mm -hmm. point B or something like that. But 
just a few more steps and he was telling himself, I'll get there and then you're going to be okay. And he, he said that it felt that keeping a positive mindset really helped him recover, perhaps, right? Like, because the more you are down on yourself, probably the more reason you don't have to get off the bed or whatever. And then maybe you're, it will delay your getting better, I would think. Oh, yes. There is scientific basis to that. There are actual studies that people with positive outlook get better, easier, recover faster, even from heart attacks, even from real degenerative diseases. Uh. You know, so <laughs> they get to be better with a positive outlook. That's good then. So that the moral lesson here again is we shouldn't be too anxious because it will probably only contribute to the deterioration of our health. And maybe if we're worried <laughs> about true. that, then it's only going to happen, right? Because we will right, it to right. existence. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea to just try not to dwell on that. Yeah, and, and ask that anxiety. What is it that you need? Maybe you need to rest. Maybe you need nurture. What can you control, as RR said? Because I may not be able to control so many outcomes, but this one, what can I control? My breathing? Can I write things down? Can I call family? Can I call a friend? That you can control. Because sometimes you just, if you're just by yourself, you're just gonna drown in your own monsters in your head. You just need to at least tell someone. And then even that sometimes is more than enough to kick you out of that. Like, oh, okay. Yes. Why yes. am I worrying about this? Like, it's not really something to worry about. So I think that's all that we have on anxiety. But I would like for our listeners to find out about you as well. If we talk about advocacies, we want to be able to bring change in communities. So we have programs for parents in public schools. We have programs for public school teachers, wherein we help them deal with anxiety during this pandemic and help public school teachers also pivot. Because the fear of teachers are really, how do I do online teaching? How do I manage my own life? And at the same time, take care of the homeschooling of my kids. So the overwhelming emotions also of those people. So... That is an advocacy. Although for train station, what we really do day to day is to apply the same principles of brain strong, of how we process information, how we label things, what we do day to day into empowering employees. So for example, you work in a bank and your job is mundane day in, day out. Then how do we help this person find that joy every day at their work? Or if this person is a leader and he has to communicate to his people, how do we take care of this person and what they do and how he labels his people too, how he can communicate with them better so that they can have better results. That's what we do during training in our company. And it started with that. Karel mentioned something about Brain Strong Initiative and that's how it evolved. Now it's like a campaign for people to be more proactive and do something about how they think how they act and how they feel, you know, because the brain is really the seat of emotions and whatever we're feeling there, it comes from the brain. And if we take care of that brain, we take care of how we think. It's very powerful and we just need to make it stronger so that we are able to get the things that we want. So it's really that. It's really that push that everybody needs. And that's what we are passionate about. We care about people. We care about what 
motivates them and we, we push them whenever they need to be pushed. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people are getting us for motivational talks, for, you know, kickoffs, sales rallies, because everything is online now. So now our, our clients from all over the world are like telling us we're now the go-to people because we're the most energetic people online, I think. We're like the, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the ones jumping up and down online. And we're telling them, you know, that no matter where you are, uh, we want to be able to empower people. And I think it's because of that specifically that you think, if I don't have a problem, then I must be okay. And I was talking about this when it comes to physical fitness. We think that just because I'm not sick, I'm okay. But does that mean you're strong? Yep. Does that mean you have bicep muscles and tricep muscles and do you have a six pack, you know? So those things. Ouch. So if, yeah, ouch, ouch, ouch. Also ouch. for me, I don't have that, you know, one, one pack only, <laughs> one big pack. But you know, it's like, how can you make sure that your brain, your mind did not just get pulled out of weeds? Let's remove the problems. But do you actually have a garden there? Do you have something that is flourishing? And this is based on positive psychology. Dr. Martin Seligman would always talk about, we pull out weeds, but we don't plant a garden. So you say, I am not sick, but are you strong? Do you have the right muscles in your brain as well for you to say that no matter what the circumstances are or what the situation is in my life, I can have well-being. And we're not talking about happiness, but well-being. Can I be okay? And if I have that, can I work better? Can I love better? Can I relate better? Can I serve better, sell better, lead better, rock the house better? And it begins with me being okay first. Could you tell the listeners, if they want your enthusiasm in their lives, how can they reach you? <laughs> You can reach us in a lot of ways. We have our website. It's www.trainstation.com.ph. Uh, you can follow us on IG. It's trainstationph. And you can also follow me, R.R. Herrera and Karel Herrera. Karel also has a podcast that's available. Uh, it's on Spotify and mm -hmm. on iTunes. Uh, it's called Brainstrong. And Karel and I also have episodes on YouTube. It's called Stories of Strength. We interview people who have gone through difficult times and talk about how they thrive even during those difficult times. It's really supposed to help people also get out of uh, challenges. So that's very interesting. I actually enjoy listening to stories of people like, you know, like Maalaala Mukaya episodes in a way, right? Like, like, you know, how they came from problematic past and then how they overcame that become yeah. who they are now. So, yeah, I think I will definitely yes, check yes. that out on YouTube then. Yes, please. Yes, Thank uh, you. We have Thank very you. interesting guests. We have yeah. uh, Senator Bam Aquino. Aisa Segura. We talked about his transition. We talked about uh, someone who was abused. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we didn't really focus on the sad stories, but we focused more on what helped them and how they overcame all of these challenges. Yeah, I think that's what people really want to, anyway, I mean, not so much the sad part, but how to, the motivational part, because people who are going through these yes. things also want to know that there is hope and how do we get there. That also helps lessen anxiety, I guess. <laughs> 
Yeah. And there's a lot of sad stories now and people need to hear a different side. People need to have a different narrative and see that there is hope and there are things that I can do, things that I can learn, even from these people who experienced these bad things. They were still able to shine despite, right? Yeah, that is incredibly motivational. And you're right, hope is the word that everyone needs to cling to, right? As long as you have hope, then you would be fine going on. I think that's the reason why people either have anxiety or get depression. That's when they start to lose hope. That's true. As long as you have hope, then I think uh, there is something that will lift you out of that, hopefully. Hopefully, again, it's not a word hope. Anyway, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, Dee. And I learned a lot from this short time that we have been together. <laughs> we just met each other thank you, in Dee. this episode. It was yeah. very fun actually talking to you guys. I guess that's it. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Dee. Bye. Thank you. By the way, when I first met RR and Karel on our video call, I realized that RR looked really familiar. And after a while, I had to interrupt our conversation to ask, Why do you look familiar? Were you an actor or something? Karel laughed and said he was a child star and joked that he should show off his famous trophy, to which she replied by saying that she was also a child celebrity and that she had sang Tell the World of His Love. I gasped and said, Oh my god, I used to sing that. Did that not come with actions? She laughed and we started singing the chorus with the actions. I think my actions were probably completely wrong, but this was a fun, nostalgic trip. If you have any thoughts you would like to share about anxiety or anything else you mentioned on this episode, including whether you remember RR or also had to memorize Tell the World of His Love, please comment or DM us on our Instagram, at Podcast. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>